it's really interesting how understated the diaphragm muscle is it's not talked as much about but i'm really interested as a segue uh, largely around the area that the diaphragm area the area that separates the viscera the entire area and what really happens in 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 that essentially right so uh, tell us a little bit about like more about like way the diaphragm actually works like what sort of leads to the contraction and sort of like the overall mechanism of breathing like what is the in some ways the motor function of uh, or the logic behind diaphragm and um, because uh, as you mentioned this happened because of result of evolution is the primary role just breathing uh, for diaphragm or is there something else as well <laughs> uh, there's a lot of things to unpack there so let me first start with the mechanics of the diaphragm the diaphragm is a skeletal muscle which means that it doesn't have any activity on its own uh, this is in comparison to cardiac muscle Cardiac muscle, which drives the heart rhythmically, doesn't need any inputs in order to work. Uh, whereas our skeletal muscle, including all the muscles like our uh, in our limbs, requires input from the nervous system in order to contract. So if I want to flex my uh, elbow, I need to contract my biceps. To do that, I have to send a signal from my, my cortex down to my spinal cord, and then there's a special population of neurons called motor neurons, which specifically innervate the muscle of the bicep. And so when I activate them, the diaphragm contracts, and depending on the resistance, my elbow will flex. So the diaphragm is a similar muscle in that the nervous system constantly has to be sending it a periodic signal when we want to inspire. And when we inspire, the diaphragm is sort of an upward-facing dome if you're sitting up or standing up. And when it becomes uh, activated through the nervous system, it pulls down a little bit, maybe about a centimeter, a centimeter and a half. And because of the way the lung is configured inside the rib cage, the pulling down the diaphragm and typically a modest or expansion of the rib cage, that increases that volume in which the lung is sitting, and that forces the lung to expand. And if the airways are patent, there's no obstruction, air is going to flow in through the nose and mouth, down the, down the trachea, down to all the branching, ultimately getting to a place in the lung called the alveoli, which is where the rubber meets the road, as we would say, and the air is able to go, or the oxygen is able to go from inside the lung, into the blood, and the carbon dioxide, which is a, a produced by metabolism, is able to go from the blood into the lung, which when we expire, we're able to expel the carbon dioxide. So that's how we take the air in and out. Now, also important inspiration are muscles of the rib cage, and they're really two types. There are the external intercostals, which are sort of on the outside, and when they contract, the rib cage rotates up and out, which is an inspiratory effort. And then there are the internal intercostals, which are pushing the rib cage down and in, which are expiratory. Now, I should make sure I emphasize that when the, the skeletal muscles are not being actively contracted, they relax. So with the diaphragm, when I inspire, I send a signal, the diaphragm actively contracts, when I stop inspiration, 
I don't need to send a signal. All I have to do is remove that signal and the diaphragm relaxes back. So breathing, normal breathing is a little bit like a pulling on a spring. The diaphragm contracts, the, the external intercostals contract, the lung, which is sort of a rubbery membrane, expands. And then at the end of inspiration, I stop, and the, the lung being this sort of this elastic uh, tissue is going to go back to its normal state, as well as the inspiratory muscles. So that's how the peripheral mechanics sort of works. What has interested me and my colleagues is to try and understand how that signal is being sent out there. So there's, for the diaphragm, there's a population of these specialized motor neurons, which innovate the diaphragm. They're called phrenic motor neurons, and they're located in the upper part of the spinal cord. And, but these motor neurons themselves are passive recipients of signals. So they themselves are not generating the rhythm. The rhythm that they receive is coming from higher up, from a region just above uh, the spinal cord called the brainstem. And the signal comes from the brainstem, and it's periodic. There's activity, silence, activity, silence. In the late 1980s, we sort of uh, identified an area which had been of interest probably for thousands of years. That is, where is breathing coming from? Where is the engine for breathing? And this had been speculated in Eastern cultures and Western cultures. In the post-Renaissance beginnings of neuroscience, they identified a region in the brainstem which appeared to be critical for breathing, but didn't go much further than basically saying it's in the brainstem, which is sort of back here, in the, sort of uh, just above the neck area in the back. And we were fortunate enough uh, with uh, Jeffrey Smith to do experiments where we were able to isolate a region that we hypothesized was generating the rhythm. It did not have a name in any of the atlases, so we took the liberty to name it, and we named it the pre-Butzler complex. And then we were off to try and test this hypothesis, and I think it took about 10 years before uh, it was generally accepted that, in fact, this is the principal engine for breathing. And, but you got to remember that breathing is not just the engine any more than the car is just the engine. To get a car to move, there's all these other things that need to be coordinated. So this is driving the rhythm, and if somehow it gets damaged, you lose the ability to generate the rhythm. Now, there are other ways we can drive the rhythm of breathing. We can volitionally breathe. And so we can do that when we hold our breath. We can emotionally breathe, which is quite distinct, actually, from the volitional breathing. So when we cry, when we laugh, um, that's coming from a different part of the brain. So this begins to speak to the issue you raised about what the other things uh, breathing are involved in. Speech, I'm able, we're able to talk to each other. If we're non-human uh, vertebrates, we use the movement of air for all sorts of communications. We have all sorts of reflexes that are important. We cough, we sneeze, we sigh. And those are very important to maintain the airways being clear. You get mucus in the airway, you want to cough it out. We need to sigh. In part, we have what we call physiological sighs, which are necessary to maintain the proper health of the lung. And I can explain that if uh, you want me to go into that. And so there's lots of things that breathing is important for. And I'm sure that uh, 
there's, well, I know, there's a lot of interest that's been developed uh, recently in trying to understand how changes in breathing can affect our emotional and cognitive state. I mean, we've known about this for thousands of years, going back to things in your part of the world, in your country, and in practices like yoga, where changes in breathing practice have been well documented to have profoundly and mostly positive effects on emotional and cognitive state. What we have become interested in is to try and understand how this is happening, how by changing your breathing pattern, can you suddenly feel calmer, can your cognitive function improve, and uh, we can get a little bit into that if you want. So there's a sort of a two-way street here with breathing. Breathing is involved in all sorts of behaviors. The most fundamental one is blood gas regulation, that is oxygen, carbon dioxide, and because of carbon dioxide, it's regulating the blood gases. But that's not the only thing we're moving air for. We're moving air for all sorts of other behaviors. And then there's the flip side of it. That is how controlling breathing can affect various aspects of our behavior. 